Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we are in Scene 7 of The Silver King, entitled A-72, Northern France, and it begins with Michael, the narrator, who is the king's son. The transition from ocean liner to an overland route was rigorous. Stanley and John Sherry are traveling by truck through England, destination unknown. This is the Somewhere in England sequence for the Silver King communiques, which begins with a September 29, 1944 Western Union telegram to his parents. In all capital letters, Am safe and well. Letter follows. Hope all well at home. Please write love, Stanley Silverfield. These letters moved quickly to the States. Stanley's September 28th letter arrived in Birmingham on October 6th. Later October letters from France often required five or six weeks to arrive with sensor routes through Chicago. Stanley arrived at A72 above Paris around October 15th. The letter about his destination reached Birmingham six weeks later on November 30th. This scene is Stanley's arrival at A72, and it begins with his meeting with Captain George B. Leverton, the squadron executive officer. It transitions to the mission briefing building as the men prepare. While the Silverfields and their extended family worried about where the king was in Europe, his mother wrote the receipt dates on each envelope or page in the family war archive. Stanley had graduated from bomber school on January 15th of 44, and nine months later to the day he had reached A-72. His 597th Squadron moved there from A-42 near Drew on October 7th as the Germans retreated from northern France. England is full of American airfields, sites selected as America's exchange in the Lend-Lease Agreement, struck by FDR and Winston Churchill to support the United Kingdom's battle with Germany. Many served as staging facilities for Air Corps personnel en route to France. Part of the mystery is how Stanley crossed the English Channel, air or water. His unit, the 397th Bomb Group, 597th Squadron, left England's Letts Field for France on August 30th. Stanley was in almost constant motion since he left the replacement depot in Louisiana in late summer. After the Queen Mary ride, he didn't have time to write his regular descriptive missives home. He did write a brief letter about living in an old barn somewhere in France, awaiting transportation to his permanent station bomb group. The ground trip was grueling, but the king weathered it well. He was circumspect about what it required him to do during those weeks before reaching A-72. This is when Stanley writes home via V-mail before beginning his bomb group routine and extensive communications with his family. The V-mail required following specific instructions from the post office department, and those instructions began. V-mail service provides a most rapid means of communication. 
If addressed to a place where photographic service is not available, the original letter will be dispatched by the most expeditious means. And the instructions go on. 1. Write the entire message plainly on the other side within the marginal lines. And 2. Print the name and address in the two spaces provided. Addresses of members of the armed forces should show full name, complete military or naval address, including grade or rank, serial number, unit to which assigned or attached, and the Army Post Office in care of the appropriate postmaster or appropriate fleet post office. 3. Fold, seal, and deposit in any post office letter drop or street letter box. 4. Enclosures must not be placed in this envelope. 5. V-mail may be sent free of postage by members of the armed forces. When sent by others, postage must be prepaid at domestic rates of $0.03 cents for ordinary mail and $0.06 cents if domestic airmail service is desired when mailed in the U.S. And all of this is through Post Office Department Permit Number 1. And this is Michael. The 597th Bomber Squadron history began through General Orders Number 28, Headquarters, Army Air Base, McDill Field, Tampa, Florida, dated April 1 of 1943. The orders activated Headquarters, 397th Bombardment Group, and the 596, 597, 598, and 599th Bombardment Squadrons. McDill Field was the station of activation assigned to the 3rd Bomber Command. On May 12, 1943, eight officers and 36 enlisted men reported for duty. Captain Raymond J. Berger was the commanding officer. Stanley was traveling to pilot school in Lakeland, Florida on April 1 of 43. He was 90 miles from McDill Field the day the Air Corps activated his bomber squadron. Eighteen months later, he was a B-26 bombardier at A-72 north of Paris, which had housed a German air operation just weeks before the Allied forces captured it. And now the Silver King will deploy his easy way and extraordinary talent with fellow warriors as a marauder man. Michael reads the first letter that his father wrote from France, dated October 15, 1944. Dearest ones, I had begun to think we would never reach here, but at last we arrived safe and sound. So much has happened since I left the States, it's hard to go back and remember all I have been through. First of all, let me ease your mind by saying I'm fine and never felt better. Outside of just being in the Army, I couldn't complain about a thing. I do hope you haven't worried because of not hearing from me. You should have guessed I was on the move. However, now that I have reached my permanent station, I promise you shall hear from me very often or as often as I have the chance to write. Also, I beg of you, please write often. As yet, I haven't received any word at all 
from you since being overseas, and I suppose it will be quite some time before it catches up with me. At any rate, please keep writing so when it does start, it will be continuous. You will find my new APO and complete address at the end of the letter. Up until last night, I hadn't slept in a bed, had a shave or shower in over a week. Believe me, things were terrible. I did things I thought I would never have to put up with. One thing for sure, the infantry has nothing on us. Now, though, since I've reached my bomb group, all has changed. It's really nice, and I mean it. The living quarters are good, and the food is excellent. The fellows are good Joes, and we're all one big happy family. We're somewhere in France, where I don't know, but just thirty days ago the Germans were here. In our quarters, we're living seven men to a room. We have a big stove and even a radio. Right now, Jimmy Durante is on, which makes it even more difficult to realize I'm out of the states. So far, I haven't seen much of the country, just a lot of mud. I suppose all or most of what I do see will be from the air. I'm sorry to say Bill isn't with me any longer. We were together until our last stop, and then he went to a different group. He isn't far from here, so we will probably get together. At this point, I would like to make a request. Cigarettes are rationed here to the point where we get only four packs a week. One razor blade a week and one bar of soap every two weeks. So, if you would, I wish you would send me some cigarettes, blades, and soap. I'm happy to say we get whiskey here. Of course, it's rationed, but at least we get it. I can get a fifth of scotch and a pint of gin every month. And last night, I had my first drink of scotch since I left the states. It surely tasted good. We'll close now with a promise to write again tomorrow. I do hope you're well and not too lonesome. Please write with my new address. It shouldn't take long to hear from you. Keep well. Love to Ida. I love and miss you, Stan. Lieutenant Stanley Lester Silverfield, zero dash seven six five four four nine five nine seventh Bomber Squadron, three nine seventh Bomber Group. APO one four zero, care PM, New York, New York. As the lights go up on this scene, our hero, the King, is nervous, and that's a rarity. And he begins. Second Lieutenant S. L. Silverfield, zero dash seven six five four four nine, reporting for duty, sir. And the executive. Officer G. B. Leverton, the captain of the five nine seventh bomber squadron. At ease, Lieutenant Silverfield. It's good to have you join the five nine seventh. And the king, relaxing a bit. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I look forward to serving under your command, sir. And Captain Leverton, to the king. Your crew is now complete. Festy, Fomby, Hop, Luck, and Lofton are here. You will bunk with Lieutenant Festy, Lieutenant Fomby, and four other officers. And the King. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir.
and Captain Leverton, looking directly at our hero. Lieutenant Silverfield, I expect you to follow orders, do your job, serve this unit with courage and distinction. You are dismissed. And the king. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. As the lights go down on this scene, Michael will read an incredibly descriptive letter that his father wrote on October 21st, 1944, from A-72. Dearest ones, please forgive me for not writing these last few days. It's difficult as all hell to obtain writing material around here. There wasn't even a V-mail form to be had. That, and for no other reason, is why I haven't written. I'm really terribly sorry if I caused you unnecessary worry. I'm feeling fine and in perfect health. Here's hoping this finds you the same. As yet, I haven't received any mail from the States, and it is quite disgusting. You have no idea how much I miss it. And just to make matters worse, mail comes in here only three times a week. This place is a real outpost. This isn't exactly the fanciest stationery I've ever had, but as long as it serves its purpose, I suppose it's okay. The only reason I have it is because I went to a small town near here to buy it. It comes direct from a French 5 and 10 store. Two other fellows decided to go in early this afternoon with hopes of finding some stationery and perhaps do a little shopping. The town is about 15 miles from here. And since there is no transportation, we had to hitchhike both ways. It wasn't difficult to get a ride. There is usually some form of military vehicle on the road. We found the city quite interesting. Of course, all the buildings are very old, and four years of war is evident in all directions. All the streets are small and are made of cobblestone instead of asphalt. The people are of two generations only one of the ancient generation and the other of the generation to be. You see nothing of the modern youth. Their dress is mostly just as you would imagine the French to dress, only a bit more shabby. You see a great deal of tams or berets and boots. Most of the low-cut shoes have wooden soles. Their mode of travel is mostly by bicycle. However, there was one trolley line, which was surprising. I suppose the few autos is due to the shortage of gas. Summing it all up, I would say the country as a whole is far behind us in modern living. Of course, my opinion might change once I see Paris. One thing that did surprise me is that there were no signs whatsoever of German occupation. It has probably been removed, but I had expected to see some of it. All the stores are practically bare. I saw nothing that I might be able to use. Mother, I tried to buy you some perfume, Shalimar or Chanel Number no. 5, but there was nothing to be had. The sales lady promised to have me some next week. You should see me trying to converse with the French. I surprised myself as I did quite well with it. The two years of it I had in high school slowly coming back to me. As it turned out, I had to be the interpreter for the three of us. I received quite a kick out of it. 
We stopped in a restaurant where we hoped we might get something to eat. As it was, we don't have ration points, so weren't allowed any meat. It isn't like the States. One must give up points even in a restaurant over here. However, we were served mashed potatoes, beets, soup, and bread. I'll probably turn into a vegetarian before I leave here. Another interesting point is the French people drink no water at all. Their beverage is strictly wine, beer, and champagne. It makes you wonder how they live without it. There are two distinct instances I must tell you about. One has a bit of humor to it, and the other is perhaps a little sad. I'll begin with the sad one. In one of the stores in town in which we had entered, we were standing looking and admiring the different articles when a young mother and her child came in. The mother must have been in her middle twenties, and the kid couldn't have been over three. She was a beautiful child, and I couldn't resist talking to her. Well, when I walked over to her, she shied away from me and clung to her mother as though I was a monster. I'm sure it wasn't because she was shy, but rather she was afraid of my uniform. I truly believe that this was a remnant of the German regime, and I couldn't help feeling sorry for her. You can imagine what an awful fear must be instilled in her mind. Now for the humor. This will give you a fair idea of how the French live, besides maybe a good laugh as it did for me. In one of the many bars in town, we found the women and men using the same washroom, and there was no lock on the door. At times, both sexes were in there at the same time. I know this is hard to believe, as it surely is something you have to see. Take my word for it. I saw it. This combat life isn't bad at all. I'm living very comfortably and warm. We have swell barracks with seven men to a room. Besides my pilot and co-pilot, there is a captain, two first lieutenants, and another second lieutenant. These fellows have been here for quite some time and are swell guys. We have the room fixed up nice since we're free to do whatever we wish with them. One really has to be an amateur carpenter and electrician to get along okay. You should see the swell closet and bed I built. It's much nicer than I ever had in the States. The food is good and plentiful, but my only trouble is getting hungry between meals. Here it isn't like in the States where you can go down to the PX and get a sandwich. Here you must wait until the next meal. So far I have been sleeping so much I don't give myself time to get hungry. It's a lazy life. We have a swell radio in the room, which is a godsend. We get swell programs recorded from the States. Right now, Bing Crosby is on command performance. All my evenings are spent listening to it and playing bridge. Six of us have started a bridge tournament. So far, I'm on the plus side. My game isn't bad at all, considering the short time I've been playing contract. I can't wait to get home to play with you. You had better give up your gin game and practice bridge, or I'll trim your pants. There is no more news. The mud is still knee-deep. I hope you're taking care of yourselves. If I remember correctly, Leona should be due any time. 
I sincerely hope everything goes well, and of course, I'll be eager to know what it is. I know you'll be there, so please let me know as soon as you can. In the meantime, please keep writing, and maybe the mail will arrive soon, I hope. I love and miss you, Stan. As the lights go down, we have reached the end of Scene 7 in The Silver King, entitled A72, Northern France. And you are listening to The Silver King's War. <laughs> 